Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. We're going to be continuing on in our series on Moses, the man of God. And today, a message I call Family Matters. Family Matters. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. And then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And may God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Moses was the first to carry the title, the man of God in Scripture. He wasn't the last. Many others have and still do. We have watched as Moses set out to deliver Israel, only uh, to be hated by Pharaoh, to be rejected by the Hebrew people. And uh, he ended up in the land of Midian, working for his father Jethro for 40 years as a shepherd. He ended up married, of course, to his daughter Zipporah, uh, the father of Gershom, and Eliezer, his only two named children. Now God has called Moses to go to Egypt. And that scene uh, that we all know famously as the burning bush on Mount Horeb, also Mount Sinai, is also known as the Mount of God. And as this encounter was taking place, God promised Moses that Aaron, his brother, uh, would come to see him. And we'll consider that meeting briefly as well this morning. So when God called Moses, it's something for us to notice that the narrative brings Moses' family into view. With the exception of his sister, Miriam, she was the only one that didn't show up in this text, although she would make uh, several appearances later. So Moses, the man of God, had a family, and family matters. Family matters. This principle carries over to the New Testament in the qualification for pastors in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, as Paul tells about all the things that pastors must be. One of them is this, he must be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And of all the qualifications that were given for a pastor, this was the one that prompted explanation. A pastor must be one who rules his own house. Because if he can't take care of his own family, he cannot possibly take care of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty sobering responsibility. The word used for rule means to superintend, to preside over, to protect, care for, or even give attention to. At the very least, we could see quickly this morning that God puts a pastor's family in his job description. Straight up. No real long... (laughs) A puzzle or mystery about what it means. Churches sometimes forget that, and pastors sometimes forget that they have a family and they have children and a wife. And by the way, they're church members too. 
And while all of his church members are important, these are so important that if a pastor doesn't take care of these, the Bible says he isn't qualified to take care of anybody else. Family matters. God was calling Moses, but he immediately puts Moses' family on display. And today we'll look at this scene in Moses' life and draw out from it some examples and some challenges for us. I'm going to be preaching on some passages that you may have never heard preached on before. And I have to admit I've never preached on them before. Uh, but this is the kind of thing you get into when you preach through the books of the Bible and you begin to look at something like Moses, the man of God, and you see Moses calling and then Moses' family. The first one, of course, is his father-in-law, Jethro. Verse 18, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Obviously, Moses didn't tell Jethro everything that God was doing in his life. He mentioned nothing to Jethro about the burning bush experience. Uh, the simple fact was that Moses, though, and Jethro were not just family. They were in business together. And they had been for a long, long time. Moses had shepherded his flocks. He didn't meet with Jethro in order to ask for a portion of the livestock like Jacob had done with Uncle Laban. You might remember that story out of the book of Genesis and how that turned out. Uh, he didn't ask for anything. He just asked for permission to leave. If God, you see, if Moses was to do what God had called him to do, it meant that Moses, part of that family business, was coming to an end. If Moses was 80, Jethro was somewhere probably way out above that. To just walk away then, even for a noble purpose, even though God had called him to just leave, was not a proper thing for him to do. We carry this principle over into the New Testament in Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Render therefore to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due, custom, to whom customs, fear, to whom fear, honor, to whom honor. Render therefore to all their due. And the word honor could also be respect. Respect to whom respect is due. And you see, for Moses then to go to Jethro, his father-in-law, who had made a place for him for 40 years, who had involved him and included him in his family business, who had provided for him and his family, who had been so generous and, and, and so, uh, such a blessing to Moses. Uh, Moses showed Jethro due respect. We have no idea why that Moses didn't trust Jethro enough to tell him everything that God was doing. He didn't. Um, he would tell Aaron everything. He would see others, but not Jethro. And we don't know why that was exactly. No explanation is given. It just, it just did it. But what we do see is that he showed him due respect, due honor. We live today in a culture of disrespect and dishonor far too often. I see children sometimes who say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, corrected by people who ought to know better. And I can't give you a chapter and verse on this this morning, but I wish I could, but I'll go ahead and tell you anyway. 
If you have a child saying yes, sir, to you, or yes, ma'am, to you, don't correct them. Don't do it. They're showing respect and honor to all who are doing. Who all is due honor? Well, the very first one, of course, is our parents. Honor your father and your mother. And by implication, in-laws as well. Honor your father and mother, God said, so that your days will be long upon the earth. That's number one on our list. But also, Paul would mention in that very passage, kings and all those who are in authority. And so every person who is in a position of authority deserves our respect. They might not be all that respectable. We can show them honor, though. Even if they are not honorable people, they hold a position. And we are then to show them respect. It is a Christian thing to do. It's a godly thing to do. We learn that at home, kids. You learn it at home. Respect our parents. Honor them. And though God had called Moses on an incredible task and had told him to go, Moses knew that he had to deal with his father-in-law, and he did. Part of honoring people means that you don't just walk away from a job. You don't just decide not to show up one day. That wouldn't have been good for Moses. It wouldn't be good in our day either. You don't just walk away from a relationship. Show respect. Within the family, God established authority, and that authority resides first in the father. And Moses showed that to his father-in-law. Jethro gave consent. He said, I need to leave. I need to go back to Egypt. And Moses loaded up Zipporah, Gershom, and Eliezer. And headed off to Egypt with the rod of God, that shepherd's staff we talked about last week in his hand. Moses and Jethro. And so in this passage where we learn about family matters in Moses' life, the first thing we see is that Moses taught us a lesson on respect. And respecting authority. If you read the Bible and study it, you'll know that God is big on authority. He's big on then showing respect to that authority. It's a good thing for us to notice. Then we have the passage with Moses and Zipporah, his wife. Verse 24, so follow the story. Uh, Moses has gone and talked to Jethro. He's loaded up the donkey and (laughs) packed up and left and... uh, Now he's on the way, and it came to pass on the way, verse 24, at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. And then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a husband of blood to me. And so he let him go. Then she said, You're a husband of blood because of the circumcision." As they left Midian, headed to Egypt, it was necessary for them to camp and spend the night on the journey. And the Bible gives a simple statement when they got to the encampment. This was apparently a place that Moses had camped often. Uh, he was there, of course, when, with the sheep when uh, uh, God had appeared to him to begin with. So when it came to pass then in the encampment, not very far from where Jethro lived, no doubt. Possibly even waiting for Aaron to come because God had told him he was coming. They camped. And while they were at the encampment, the Bible gives us a simple statement. The Lord met him and sought to kill him. 
This is a mysterious passage, and it leaves a lot of questions unanswered, and it has some interpretive difficulties to wade through. Uh, The first one has to do with the question, who was it that God was seeking to kill? And the second question then, if God was out to kill somebody, why isn't he dead? Both of those questions have to be addressed. And we'll tackle the the second one first. Why wasn't somebody just dead if God was out to kill them? Well, back in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. That they ate. But they didn't drop dead on the spot. Now, they did indeed die, but God did not promise them they would eventually die. God just said they would die. We might say, well, they died spiritually. That's true. They were separated from God. And death in Scripture also carries that idea of separation, that divine judgment that causes us to be separated from God because of our sin. Where before they had that unbroken fellowship, that unbroken fellowship died the day they ate the fruit that God said, don't eat. They sinned. They were separated, cut off. And in that sense, they had a problem then that only redemption would cure. And thank God it did. Thank God it did. Moses' son Gershom had not been circumcised. This was a covenant sign of God's people in the Old Testament. It was a promise that God had made to Abraham, a requirement that he made with Abraham and all of his people. And to be without this sign was a grave offense. In Genesis 17, 14, and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Now, circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we are not still under that sign and that requirement today. Uh, We know that that has been replaced by the circumcision of the heart, which is a symbol of faith. And and, uh, we have baptism in the New Testament. Uh, But uh, we don't have that same requirement as they had under the law and under Abraham. But God was very plain. That person who refuses this or who does not have this, that male child who is not circumcised, shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So we can look at that second question then. Why wasn't somebody dead if God was out to kill them? And it could very well be that that failure to circumcise Gershom had brought him under the curse of God. That he was going to be cut off from his people, separated from God because of his sin. And if this is what happened, then the threat that God was out to kill him could have been simply an expression of the danger that he was facing. God was going to cut him off I mean there he was going back to God's people and yet he was not going to be a part of that it's a serious situation it could have been that but the hymn in the passage could simply have referred to Moses God was out to kill him if this is the case then Moses came under God's judgment because of his failure to be a spiritual leader in his own family I'll say that again Moses if this is the case was coming under judgment because he had failed to be a spiritual leader in his own family. Moses certainly should have known. He did know. And he should have taken care of Gershom 
long ago when he was eight days old. God seeking to kill Moses then would be to strike him apparently with an illness that incapacitated him and would have certainly resulted in his death had the situation not been corrected. The fact that God was displeased over Gershom would have surfaced at this moment because of something that happened before that I didn't read, but I'm going to read to you now. And that is while Moses was leaving from the presence of God and before uh, he got, uh, got uh, all packed up to go, the Lord said to Moses, verse 21, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Since Pharaoh was considered a god, his firstborn son was also considered a god. To threaten his death was as serious as it gets. Considering all the firstborn sons of the Hebrews that had been wiped out under the cruelty of the Pharaohs in the past, such a judgment is not difficult for us to understand. Who knows how many hundreds or thousands of Hebrew boys were drowned alive, little babies. Who knows? But it brings into focus for us what was happening God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, if you don't obey me, I will kill your firstborn son. And lo and behold, Moses was in the same state of disobedience with his firstborn son. It wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be reasonable for God to kill Pharaoh's firstborn if Pharaoh refused to obey God. Meanwhile, there would be Moses standing there before him with the firstborn alive and well because of Moses' disobedience. Regardless of how this played out then, the import is the same. Moses was going to stand before the people of God and before Pharaoh with this glaring state of disobedience going on, and it had to be corrected. So whether God was threatening Moses' life or Gershom's life, and frankly, I could see it either way, and maybe both, the end result was the same. This was a glaring disobedience that happened because Moses refused to be the spiritual leader in his family. And it had to be corrected. The silence of Moses is recognized throughout this ordeal. We might be inclined to think that Gershom, like we are with Abraham and Isaac, when he was called upon to offer Isaac upon the altar, we might think that Isaac was just a little guy. No, Isaac was full grown. And Gershom was full grown too. How old he was, we don't know. But he could have been as much as 40 or close to it. So while Moses was silent and perhaps incapacitated, it was Zipporah who took a flint knife and performed this circumcision on Gershom. And that's spelled out for us in verse 25. Where she had to do this, 
And she obviously wasn't happy about it. Surely you're a husband of blood to me. You are a bloody husband, a husband of blood. Why? Because she had to do what Moses should have done long ago. You see, it's this passage that makes me inclined to think that Moses was incapacitated because the Bible clearly says that God let him go. So he let him go. You see that in the passage. So he let him go, which would tend to me to indicate maybe that some kind of paralysis had gone on and Moses uh, couldn't move and he would have certainly died had not Zaborah intervened. Though this mysterious passage leaves us with a lot of questions, one thing comes through with amazing clarity, and that is uh, Zipporah ended up having to fulfill this vital spiritual task without which Gershom would have been cut off from his people and Moses would have no doubt died and been unable to fulfill his duty before God. The fact that Zipporah wasn't happy about this pales in insignificance in the fact that God wasn't happy about it. God wasn't happy about it. We could offer a lot of excuses. Moses was busy. Moses was gone a lot. Moses was working. He was tending the sheep. Maybe after all that terrible failure from 40 years before, maybe Moses just wasn't all that keen on being a spiritual leader. Maybe he just kind of lost interest a little bit. I don't know. Like I said, there's more questions in this passage than there are answers. But what is going on is very, very clear. This was a task that Moses should have performed. He was living in disobedience. His wife, Zipporah, had to do it for him. And God wasn't happy. God wasn't pleased. Many homes in America today are on the rocks because God's plan for the family has been completely ignored. And in fact, God himself is completely ignored. People and maybe someone by chance, maybe even listening in this morning, maybe God is just left out of the home altogether for the most part. People all over this country are rushing through life with never a thought of God at all. Much less what pleases God. They're not thinking that they're living under the curse of God and they're raising their children under the curse of God. Nobody ever looks at that little smiling baby face after he's just been born and said, yeah, I'm going to raise my kids to burn in hell forever. Nobody thinks that. Nobody says that. But God help us as the people of God. We need to be mindful of that always. Our children have an eternal destiny ahead of them. We can't be saved for them. If we could, we would. Nobody ever says, I'm going to raise my son or daughter to be a drug addict or any one of the thousands of other things that are blowing young people away today. And yet, without God in our hearts and God in our homes, this is exactly what is playing out. Oh, let's be a people. Who have God in our hearts and God in our homes. 
and who look around us, not just on Sunday, but day after day and week after week, asking ourselves the question, is God pleased? Are we lining our life up under the plan and purposes of God? And so on the one hand, we see how it could play out with people who reject God altogether, who refuse him and rebel against him. But let's remember, Moses was a believer, very much so. And yet even as a believer, his family was a mess because Moses had ignored his responsibility to provide for his family. Many homes today are being led spiritually by a wife who has assumed the role that God intends for the husband to fulfill. It's no wonder that so many Christian wives are filled with resentment. and You might not ever express it. You might not even know where it comes from. You may be a single mom. Your husband may be an unbeliever, a backslidden believer. You have children here today. Never forget the impact that Moses' mother had on his life. Or, on our, or the, the impact that our mothers have had on all of our lives. Your service is vital. Don't give up. You may be like Eunice and her mother Lois. And be raising a Timothy. Only God knows. So here was Moses and Jethro, and Moses showed respect to Jethro and family matters. And then here's Moses and Zipporah and Gershom. It's teaching us about the importance of spiritual responsibility. Family matters. Family matters. And then lastly and briefly, there's Moses and Aaron. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. So the encampment that he mentioned earlier was probably the place where Moses waited until Aaron came as God had told him that he would. Where Moses did not tell Jethro everything that God had told him or everything that had happened. He was careful to tell it all to Aaron because, of course, God had told him to. And he would rehearse that before the Hebrew people because God had told him to do. It tells you a little something about Moses that he wasn't running around bragging about the burning bush experience every chance he got. I'm not sure I could have kept that quiet. <laughs> oh, but... Oh, Moses was Moses was obedient. Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. Both of these boys had weaknesses. These brothers were flawed. Both of them would fail. We can look ahead because we know how the story goes. We can look ahead and know that their weakness, their flaws, and their failures would not keep them from doing what God had called them to do because at the end of the day, it didn't rely on them. God was working through them. And he would accomplish his task. God said, go to Aaron and Moses. And guess what? <laughs> they went. Never underestimate what a simple act of obedience can accomplish. We never know what might happen when God says go and we go. 
That's what's put before us in this passage. God told them to go and meet with the elders of Israel. And you know what? They did. So, where will we go with this message today as we begin to wrap it up or finish it up? Uh, what's this do for us? Well, I, I want us to jump ahead a little bit and I want us to go all the way over to the book of First Chronicles. You don't have to turn. I've got the passages up for you. Because this is actually where we find out what Moses' boys' names were. 1 Chronicles 23, 15. The sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer. Now the sons of Gershom, Shebuel was the chief, and the sons of Eliezer were Rehabiah the chief. And Eliezer had none of the sons. He had a bunch of girls, apparently. The Bible also tells us that. But the sons of Rehabiah were very, very many. Neither of Moses' sons would follow in his footsteps. Neither of Moses' sons would... Take over Moses' responsibility. God would call Moses to lead the people. And when Moses stopped, when his ministry stopped, it wasn't Moses. It was Joshua that led them into the promised land. And so we might look at that obvious fact and come to the conclusion, well, you know, oh, Moses, he failed his boys and they never amounted to much. Ah, <laughs> Let's keep reading. First Chronicles 26. And Shebuel, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, was ruler of the treasures. And his brethren by Eliezer, Rehabiah, his son, Jeshiah, his son, and Joram, his son, and Zichri, his son, and Shelomith, his son which Shelomith and his brethren were over all the treasures of the dedicated things which David the king and the chief fathers, the captains over thousands and hundreds and the captains of the host had dedicated. Out of the spoils won in battles did they dedicate to maintain the house of the Lord. And all that Samuel the seer and Saul the son of Kish and Abner the son of Ner and Joab the son of Zariah had dedicated. And whosoever had dedicated anything, it was under the hand of Shelomith and of his brethren. Now, whenever you see that biblical figure of speech, I have to point it out to you. It's one of the classic times where you see it. You know, in English, we have a simple rule, one and per sentence. If you ever attempted to use more than one and in a sentence when you're writing, uh, you restrain yourself, put a period, start another sentence. One and per sentence, that's a rule in English. But in Hebrew, you'll see it oftentimes over and over again. And this is one of those times where there's many ands in the passage. And it's put there for a very specific reason. It's designed to draw attention to everything that is mentioned in the list. Rehabiah, his son, and Jesaiah, his son, and Joram, his son, and Zichri, his son, and Shelomeh, his son. And what were they? Well, remember, Moses was a Levite. And though God called Moses to be the leader of his people, his, his sons weren't going to fulfill that role. Joshua 
would take over that task. We know about Aaron and his sons and how Aaron was a high priest and how the sons of Aaron succeeded him in that place. Some of them died tragically, but many of them succeeded in it. But what about Moses' boys? They didn't vanish from the scene. Oh, God had a plan for them. And as Levites, they in fact would end up fulfilling that plan. They would serve in the temple of God when it was built. They would serve in the tabernacle before that. That's where it was in 1 Chronicles chapter 26. And they were over all the treasures. All the money that was contributed, everything that was given, all of the spoils of war that were brought into the tabernacle, everything that came, these men were over the treasures in the house of God. Six generations are mentioned in this passage. Moses' sons would assume their role. And we get to see then. That God had plans for Gershom and Eliezer and their children and their children and their children and their children and their children. Six generations would spend their lives serving God faithfully in the temple in a crucial role. You see what that teaches us this morning? Moses was 80 years old and Gershom was a grown man when God threatened to kill him, whatever that meant. And Gershom then was circumcised as God had intended. Moses was late getting this done but he wasn't too late he wasn't too late see that's the God we serve that's the God we serve Moses showed up to be the spiritual leader and he did yes Zipporah had to do it for him yeah I know God had to put a knife to his throat I know I understand all that yeah God had plans for his children's 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 children who were blessed. Moses got it right. And it's never too late, men, for you to decide to be a spiritual leader. You might have some ground to make up. You may have some apologies to make, some repenting to do. But it doesn't mean that it can't be done. But of course, the best time to do it, the best time to assume that God-given role of being a spiritual leader in your family is when you can carry your kids like this. That's the best time. But you say, oh, Brother Rich, I, I let that time slip away. It's not too late. Moses was 80 years old. And Gershom was grown. And yet they became a champion for God, those boys. It's not too late. Family matters.
Let's stand together, please.